Now, um, there's this article that I read. Uh, it was by Dr. Orville Jenkins. And he said that there's actually two types of people uh, in this world. Um, and he said that you can divide these two people up by these two things. The first is you can divide up people by their culture, right? Um, and then secondly is through your experience. And he said that for the most part, you can kind of differentiate people in these two categories. And uh, for us, we tend to gravitate towards these people as well, right? If someone has the same culture as us, then we gravitate towards them. If someone has the same shared experiences, we gravitate towards them. Now, something interesting that Dr. Orville said is that um, actually for culture, in its simplest form, is actually just shared experiences as well, right? And he goes on to say that these set, this set of shared experiences, it leads to a shared worldview. And what this worldview leads to is a specific identity for those members. And what happens is when you form that identity, it draws a clear line. And so there's people who are within that identity, and there's people who are outside of that. And he says that for most people, for 99% of people, you can divide it up into culture and experience. Now, I was a bit hesitant to believe this because uh, what I've realized is that when it comes to culture and experience, um, I feel like I'm at the point of my life where I'm kind of in between both. Uh, what I mean by, for that is for the younger generation, I've actually always kind of prided myself in knowing pop culture references, in being able to uh, spill the tea, as they say, right? <laughs> as uh, being able to understand and really communicate with them. Uh, but it's only recently that I've realized that I may not be as hip as I had hoped I was, uh, that um, when I talked about things like the greatest underdog story ever, which is Rudy, obviously, uh, no one really understood me. You know, I was met with blank stares. I would say things like Notre Dame football or, or you know, the Samwise game. Like, you know, I would, I would say these people's names and, and no one would understand me. You know, and, and for me, the, that culture barrier has become something that I had to try to get over. And it's been to the left side where I've seen this younger generation, they just don't understand me and I don't understand them. And yet at the same time, at this stage in my life, I also don't have the experience necessary to fully understand the older generation. You know, for me, I, I try my best to speak about marriage, to speak about childbearing, uh, but my knowledge is based purely on books and on articles, right? And to be honest, on movies too, right? Three Men and a Baby, I don't know if you've seen, I love that movie. Um, <laughs> Matilda, right? I mean, you can think about all these different types of movies that I try to garner as much experience and, and knowledge as I possibly can, but there's always going to be a border. There's always going to be a, a barrier there that I'm not going to be able to cross. And so for me, it feels like I have this thing where I, I'm, I, I don't have an identity. 
Because on one hand, my culture doesn't fit and I'm not able to relate to people. And yet on the other hand, I don't have the experiences necessary to be able to communicate well with others. And I think for a lot of us, we base our identity upon these two things, upon the culture that we're in and upon the experiences that we've had. And because of those two things, we base our entire identity around that. And yet what happens when real hardship comes is that those two things will not sustain you. Because at the end of the day, when you are drowning, then your experience and your culture will drown with you. Those two things cannot save you. And so if those two things, which this doctor has said are, are our identity, are these two things are the, the main things about us, if those two things drown with us in hardship, then what are we supposed to do? You see, the Bible says something very different. Because the Bible says, no, no, it's not your culture. Actually, your culture is what doesn't define you. It's the opposite. No, no, it's not your experiences, because your experiences come and go. You can't always relate to people. It says there's only one thing that identifies you. It's your faith. You see, the Bible says there is one thing that pleases God. It's your faith. And the Bible says there's one way that you can understand the way this world works. It's your faith. You see, in Hebrews 11, it says, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. You see, in this passage here, in chapter 2, we've talked about chapter 1 a lot and that he's run away and he's done all these things. And then now we're in chapter 2 where he is in the belly of a fish. He is in the worst place in his life. He is literally in the bottom of the ocean, but not only that, spiritually, he is in the worst condition that he has ever been in. And you see, at this very darkest moment for Jonah, he begins to pray. And what's interesting about this prayer is that it starts much differently than it ends. Because in the beginning, he talks about his struggle. He says, I am in the deep. I am in the very bottom. I am hurt and afraid and scared. And yet, by the end, what we see is that in this prayer, he is praising God. Now, the question becomes, how is this possible? How is this possible? How is it that in Jonah's darkest moment, he is able to not only endure, but to have hope. And the answer is really simple. It's one thing. It's his faith. You see, Jonah had faith, and it was his faith that defined him. Now, I think one thing that we can do is when we look at this passage, and we, we can look at the Bible in general, and we see people who have overcome the most difficult situations. We can see some of our spiritual mentors who have gone through the, the worst things and still have come out standing, and we can say, you know what, I wish that I had faith like that. For me, I wish that I had Jonah's faith. I wish that I could have that faith that could go to the very bottom of the very bottom and yet still be standing. But you know what? 
I don't think I could ever have that. But you see, when, when you say that, and when people say that, they have a fundamental misunderstanding of what faith is. Because when you say that, what you're assuming is that faith is like an athletic ability. It's like a musical talent. And you see, faith isn't like looking at an athlete and saying, you know, I wish that I was as strong as he is. Man, I wish that I was as fast as she is. But you know what, I'm not. No, no, no. Faith is not an ability or a talent. It's just two things. It's where you turn to and what you think of. That's it. And faith in this very most condensed form is, is what are you willing to have control over your life? Are you willing to have your emotions, your circumstances, the things around you control you? Or are you willing to have the promises of God control your life? It's, it's, it's just those two things. You see, faith, it can seem so daunting at times. But what we're going to see is that Jonah, he just did these two things. He turned to someone and he thought of something. And because of these two things, you see, God was pleased and Jonah was saved. Now let's look into it. Verse 1, what does it say? Jonah called out to the Lord. And a little bit later it says, he cried out to him. You see, in the deepest part of his despair, the first thing Jonah did was not search for a way out. He did not search to, to find the, the mouth hole or whatever it is of the fish or whatever. He wasn't trying to escape. And that moment, the very first thing he did was he cried out to God. Now, this is so difficult, brothers and sisters, because the first step of faith is an actual step of faith. There will be doubts about God that happen. And especially when you're going through hardship, what the devil and what demons will try to do is always try to put doubt and doubt and doubt into your mind. But it's a choice that we need to make in order to doubt those doubts and trust God. What I mean by that is it's always going to be a choice in who we trust because we're trusting one thing or another. We're either going to trust God or we're going to trust our doubts. And most of the time, what ends up happening is that we're willing to put our trust in our doubts rather than in God. But when we do that, we will never fully experience the power of the Holy Spirit unless we doubt our doubts and cry out to God first. In the Bible, there are example after example of this type of faith where we need to take the first step. It was Elijah who called out to God and then God showed his power. It was Esther who walked out in faith and approached the king and then God showed his grace. And it was Jonah who in the depths of his despair cried out to God first. And you see, this is important. And I really want us to understand this, is that faith is turning towards God first, even if it's a broken and sinful and dirty turn. Right? I'm going to explain to you what I mean. In the book of Job, 
there was a man who had gone through the worst of the worst. And if you read this book, it's actually really kind of disheartening because you would think that for Job, who was known as a man of faith, that you would see him saying, no, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to resist the devil. I'm going to go against it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. No, no. You see chapter after chapter of Job yelling at God, saying, why are you doing this to me? Asking him who, who he is that he's able to do this, even questioning God's character at times. But at the very end, God, he comes to Job and he commends him for his faith. In other words, he comes to Job and he says, look, I'm, I'm proud of your faith. And when I first read that, when you first read that, it doesn't make sense. Because you see all the things that he had done, all the things that he had messed up in. And you say, how could God be commending him for his faith? How could God be proud of Job's faith? Because Job was the one who yelled at God. Job was the one who questioned the Lord. And yet the reason God is proud of Job is not necessarily the content of his prayer, is that he simply did it in the presence of God. That in all of his hardship, that in all of his struggle, that in everything that he did, he prayed to the Lord about it. As mad as Job was, as confused as Job was, he never stopped his communication with the Lord. He never said, you know what, I forget you, God. I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. No, no. In his anger, in his confusion, he brought all of those things to the Lord. And that's what faith is. It's that simple. Faith is, is not how great or how mighty or how, how at peace you are with God. Faith is this one question, are you willing to continue seeking after me? Are you willing to, to still pray? Are you still willing to, to trust even in these small things? David was a man who was probably one of the greatest men in the Bible. He was considered a man after God's own heart. He was a man who was considered a, a true man of faith. And yet, what we know is that he did terrible things. He killed a man just to sleep with his wife. And we will see again and again intentional sin after intentional sin. And yet, David is still considered one of the greatest men. Was it because he was at peace during all of those times, during all of those turmoils? Of course not. Because we can see his prayers. Look at the majority of psalms. Almost all of them are psalms of mourning. Almost all of them are psalms of anger. But the key is not that he's at peace. The key is that he is crying out to God. Some of you are in the bottom of the bottom and you are in the depths of the sea, and you feel like you are suffering. And in the midst of our suffering, the first thing we try to do is fix the world when what we need to do more than anything else is simply cry out to God. Because for us, we will never be able to fix our past, and we don't know what's coming up in the future. 
We have no idea. And yet for us, we try so hard to do things on our own when right next to us, we have the God of the universe who is simply waiting for us to cry out to him. And what he says is, look, your prayers don't need to be perfect. I know your heart. I know the things that you have gone through. I know that you are broken. But all you need to do is come to me first. Come to the Lord first. Seek him. The first step in faith is to cry out to God. Now, the second step, the second thing Jonah does is remember what God has done. You see, in the middle of his prayer in verse 7, Jonah says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. You see, what the world has always tried to do, and you're going to realize this as you, for maybe our youth students as you go into college especially, is that as you get older, people will always try to separate Christianity with reason. What I mean by that is that faith, as you get older, is always associated with a lack of understanding in the world. And it's that people think that if you have faith, it's because you didn't do enough research. And that as you grow in intellect, as you grow in, in your schooling and all that stuff, then faith will naturally go away. That's, that's just how it's supposed to be. And yet, what the Bible says is that the more you reason and the more you remember, the deeper your faith becomes. Let me give you an example. A few years ago, I went to the doctor, and they recommended that I get one of my moles checked out, right? Not for just because it was like a, a bit weirdly shaped that, you know, whatever. And I, I was, I was kind of hesitant at first, but I said, okay, I'll go to the dermatologist. So I went to the dermatologist, and they said, okay, it's not anything serious, but just in case, it might be good to take it out. And I was like around my neck area, and I was like, I don't know, we'll see. Um, okay, I, I, I guess I'll believe you. And so I, I went home and I WebMD'd like crazy, right? I, I researched as much as I could. I looked up like, is this okay? Should I even worry about this? Like, is it, you know, if it's discolored or if it's, you know, weirdly shaped, do I still need to get whatever? And so I, I did all this research. I asked people who have gotten their moles removed before, like wondering, and I had all of these questions. And finally, I felt pretty confident that this was the right thing to do. And my doctor really reassured me. He said, you, 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 this is going to be easy. Like, you, don't need, you don't need to worry about it at all. Like, wh whatever, it's just going to be one snip, snap, and it's, it's gone, right? <laughs> and so I was confident because I knew what was right. I, I had the knowledge. I had the understanding. I had the research done. But I went into the doctor's office. And when you see that knife, right, all of that logic, all of that WebMD research, it flies out the window, right? And when the doctor sits you down and starts bringing that knife closer and closer to your neck, you begin to panic. And you begin to really get scared. And you see, the closer that knife came to my neck, the more I began to doubt. 
Now, this doubt wasn't because I had this new understanding. This doubt wasn't because I was somehow more knowledgeable or because I had some type of wisdom in that moment. It was because I was simply being influenced by the circumstances around me. You see, before I was walking in faith, as I was walking to that office building, as I was walking to that doctor, I had the knowledge, I had the understanding, I had everything I needed in order to successfully go through the procedure, and yet in that moment, because of what I saw, I doubted. You see, Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says this, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. The reason why faith is being certain of what we do not see is because the more we see, the more likely we are to be influenced by the things around us. See, brothers and sisters, it's why it's so dangerous to trust our emotions. It's so dangerous to trust the circumstances around us. It's so dangerous to make our idols those things because those things will change in one second. Now, a question you may have is, okay, I, I, I can try to remember the past things that God has done in my life, but, but Pastor Danny, what, what happens if I don't really have a past relationship with God? What happens if I don't have past experiences to draw onto? What if I'm not really a, a long-term Christian? What if I haven't known him for very long? What am I supposed to remember then? You see, in verse 7, Jonah here, Jonah here, he talks about the holy temple. Now, of all things, why would he talk about this holy temple? Why in the belly of a fish, in the midst of his despair, in his worst time, he would mention a holy temple? You see, the holy temple, it was this huge building, but in the middle was this thing called the Holy of Holies. And within the middle of the Holy of Holies was, was the Ark of the Covenant. And within the Ark of the Covenant were these two stone slabs. And on these two stone slabs were the Ten Commandments. And these Ten Commandments represented one thing. It was supposed to represent the character of God. Every commandment, every law that was on there was to represent a piece of who God was. And he said, if you want to know who I am, if you really want to understand who I am and know me at a deeper level, then you are going to follow and do your best to do these commandments. This is a piece of who I am. And that's why in the Holy of Holies, people cannot walk in because the presence of God was there. And what was in the presence of God? It was the Ten Commandments. You see, brothers and sisters, do you lack experience? Are you afraid that in your most difficult time that you will not remember? Then what I ask you to do is do what Jonah did and look to the character of God. In other words, look to the Bible. Read the Psalms. Read the stories. Read the parables and allow those words to help you remember who God truly is. You know, I've told this story before, but when I was in college, there was a sermon that impacted me to such a great degree. 
Because when I was in college, the, my pastor there, his daughter had just been diagnosed with cancer. And she was diagnosed with cancer on that Monday, and he came to speak on that Sunday. And after that Sunday, he ended up taking a couple weeks to just be with his family. But in that one sermon, I, even to this day, 10 years later, I still remember it so clearly. Because he said that he went to the doctors, he went to the hospital with his daughter, and they were checking up everything, and he had to come back home to get some supplies and some material, whatever. And he said that the minute he stepped into his home, he went to the Bible and he began to read the Psalms. And he said the reason he began reading the Psalms was not because he was somehow overly spiritual and that's what he was trying to, whatever. No, he said that he knew that he needed to go to the Psalms because he knew that in that moment his mind would begin to wander. And he knew that, he, he knew that in that moment, if his mind began to wander, then it would inevitably lead to the question of, God, why would you let this happen? And he said that if he began to think about that question, then it would inevitably lead to, how can you be a good God? And that question would inevitably lead to, do you really even exist? And he said that he knew that his train of thought would go in that direction. He knew that in his most difficult of time, that seeing his daughter in the hospital bed, hearing the diagnosis there, that his mind would automatically go, that he knew that. And so he said, in that moment, what I decided to do is that I would read the Psalms and I would make David's prayers my prayers. Will you remember God in your darkest of moments? In the belly of the fish, in your times of despair, will you remember the Lord? And it's not about your past, whatever, what, what God has done in your life. No, no, no. Look to the temple. Look to the Bible. Look to his commandments. Look to his character. Because those things, more than anything else, will hold you. Those things will save you. For Jonah, at this moment here, he didn't know what was going to happen. And I think the most likely scenario is that he thought that he was going to die. And yet in verse 9, he says this. He says, I will sacrifice to you what I promised because salvation belongs to the Lord. In that moment of despair, Jonah, he turns to God, remembers what he's done, and he commits to the Lord. What that means is he says, no matter what happens, I'm giving everything to you, God. No matter what happens, for me, I'm willing to follow what you have said. I'm willing to go to Nineveh. I'm willing to preach. And even if I live or even if I die, blessed be your name. Salvation belongs to you. you see, brothers and sisters, this is the last step of faith. Are you willing to commit? For Jonah, he was spit out of that fish at the end of this prayer, but for you, you may not be. Your circumstances of despair, they may not turn to one of success. But this is the last step. Are you willing to commit? No matter what happens, I'll give everything to you, God. 
and even if I live or die, praise your name. You see, that's what faith is. It's not about having the answers. It's not always about even being in complete peace. It's just about trusting in the Lord. You see, in his most desperate moment, Jesus prayed to God and asked if there was any other option. God, would you be able to take this cup away from me? For Jesus, he was afraid. He was scared to the point where blood was dripping from his face. But in his worst moment, you see, Jesus, he committed. And he died for one reason, so that you and I could live. Church, how can we have faith? It's because our identity isn't based upon our culture, it's not based upon our experiences. Our, experience, our, our identity is based upon the one who died for you and for me, but not only died, rose again. And so turn to him and cry out, for he is listening. Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Amen? Let's pray.